Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Mimosas with Moms podcast. I'm your host, Abby Williams. Today we're talking about parenting children with ADHD. And if you are listening and you are like, this episode was made for me, um, settle in because I am joined by some of the best. I'm joined by the Childhood Collective, which was founded by Lori Long, Katie Serverson, and Mallory Brown. They each have a different area of expertise and they have really joined forces to create such amazing work for this topic. Um, You can find them on Instagram at the Childhood Collective. You can find them on Facebook at the same. Their webpage is thechildhoodcollective.com. And that's where their online course, Creating Calm, all about parenting ADHD is. Um, Everything will be linked in the description of this podcast. They also have some freebie guides um, that will be linked at the in the description of this podcast, a free relaxation guide, um, a free homework helper. Um, Just I wish I could just like, you know, spread this around to any parent that has a child with ADHD because it can be a lot, you know, from evaluations to treatments and tips and strategies that parents can use to support their child at home or at school. Um, There's just so much information to kind of navigate through. And I just love that they have come up with a way to put it all in one spot, get it to as many parents as possible. And I am so excited to share it with you guys. So make sure that you guys go give them a follow. Um, Make sure that you check out their course too, because it is fabulous. Um, And if you enjoy this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Your support here on the podcast means the world, and it helps other parents find our podcast. So let's get started. Cheers. So welcome, Lori, Katie, Mallory from the Childhood Collective. Um, I'm so excited that you guys are here. I'm excited to be talking about childhood ADHD today. Um, I was just like reading something the other day that ADHD, you know, is in some communities so overdiagnosed, but then there's also some communities where the diagnosis is underdiagnosed. And so I think that there's a lot to be learned from this um, conversation. I think that there's a lot of mamas that will get a lot of insight and tricks and tips from you ladies. So thank you for joining me. Um, But first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I am Lori Long. I am a child psychologist, and I actually have a private practice in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I specialize in doing diagnostic evaluations for ADHD, autism spectrum disorders, learning disorders, anxiety. Um, And I just started with Katie and Mallory um, last year, the Childhood Collective, and we really saw a need through our evaluations that parents kind of get these diagnoses and feel so overwhelmed with the treatment options and what to do moving forward. And we really wanted um, an opportunity to kind of walk with people in their journey afterwards and really give them easy, simple science-backed tricks to help parenting be easier because it is really hard. It is hard parenting. And a lot of times, you know, especially for ADHD, you get these 
you know, you get the medication option and you don't always get like the actual help with how do I support my child on a day-to-day basis and, mm-hmm. and how does this become easier? So we really developed the childhood collective for that. Yeah. I'm Mallory and I'm also a child psychologist, but currently a stay-at-home mom or maybe a work from home mom now that <laughs> we're doing the childhood collective. I'm not sure which, a combination of both. Um, and similar to Lori, when I was in practice, I was doing a lot of diagnostic evaluations. I also did a lot of treatment. So I was working with families after they got the diagnosis, helping them um, collaborate with the school. What can they do at home? How can they work with the child's teacher to make sure their child is successful at school? Um, and again, I just couldn't reach as many families as I wanted to reach. And I had families driving over an hour on a weekly basis to come to my office. And it just, for a lot of families, it wasn't sustainable. It was challenging. And even though we live in Metro Phoenix, um, we just saw that there was a lack of providers that could do this with families. So again, the Childhood Collective was kind of born out of this need that we saw for families to have more accessible information. Um, So that's what we're doing here. Yeah. And I'm Katie. I'm a speech language pathologist. And um, I actually do a lot of work with kids with ADHD and just general executive functioning challenges in practice. Um, But I also, as Lori had, we'd kind of talked about right before we got on here, um, we all used to work together at the same practice. So um, part of my expertise in the speech and language side is working with psychologists and really supporting their findings, um, looking more deeply at language and social skills. Um, It's maybe not as well known that a lot of kids with ADHD can struggle with friendships because of some, sometimes they can be impulsive. Um, It's the best of intentions, but it can be challenging for them to regulate and kind of keep their bodies calm and stay focused on the topic. Um, They also can struggle with shifting. So changing topics, um, which is really can happen fast with kids in school. And so um, I work a lot on social skills and executive functioning and parent training. And so it just really connects really nicely um, with a lot of the emotional regulation stuff that Mallory always is talking about. And as Lori mentioned, just parents get this diagnosis and they don't know that a speech language pathologist could help them with those things. They just might not realize um, my child can say there are sounds. I don't need speech. Um, And so it can take them some time to really figure out where to get the right kind of services. So let's like kind of start at the beginning of Lori's piece, I guess, of this evaluation. I'm getting this diagnosis. What do the symptoms look like? What is my child kind of struggling with that would lead them to an ADHD diagnosis? And what's kind of like this first step? Yeah, I think um, there's a there's a lot of confusion and questions that people have about like, at what point do I seek out that diagnosis? And so we for ADHD, the main symptoms are inattention, distractibility, difficulty focusing. Um, There are three types of ADHD. So there's an inattentive type. There's a hyperactive impulsive type, and then there's a combined type that has symptoms in both areas, which most kids fall within that kind of category. Um, But some parents don't necessarily necessarily see the inattention, but they see more of the impulsivity. So they're running and climbing excessively. They can't stay seated. They're constantly blurting out or interrupting and those types of behaviors. Um, 
a lot of parents like in the three, four-year-old range are starting to see some of those symptoms come up. Um, but we typically don't make a diagnosis until at least five years old, often more like six years old, just because most kids are going to show symptoms of inattention and hyperactivity when they're young. And the, there's a wide range of what is normal in young right. children, right? right. Um, but that doesn't mean if you're seeing excessive symptoms or it's starting to impact your child at preschool or they're having a lot of difficulty, like, like um, Kitty was saying, with friendships or those types of things, you might start to see those red flags kind of early on. Um, we start to look at school age um, for doing an evaluation. So typically, you know, you're seeing those symptoms, not just at home, you're seeing them in other settings, like at school or in the community. And so what ends up happening is kids start into school. And again, kindergarten, there's an adjustment. So don't freak out if your child is having a hard time initially, most kids do. Um, but if by the end of the year, beginning of first grade, you're still having a lot of the, the teachers coming to you and saying, they're really having a hard time getting work done, focusing, they can't stay seated, they can't do these things. And it's really impacting their life in a negative way, or it's impacting your life in a negative way at home. That's when we say it's time to kind of reach out and maybe get an evaluation. And I know like, you know, talking with so many parents through this platform, working mm -hmm. with families, myself professionally, um, there's a lot of mom guilt that can come yeah. with some of these diagnoses. Can we kind of talk about that for a minute of, you know, why it's good to go get these services, why it's not something to feel the guilt about, you know, I, and I do it to myself. I got an email this morning where my son is struggling in a subject. The teacher emailed me and said, Hey, we're connecting him with interventions. And I, I am such a huge advocate for early interventions, right? Like, please give my children all the help that they can get, but you still like get like this ping inside. Oh, yeah. of you, like, Oh my gosh, I dropped yep. the ball. I should have been helping them. You know what I mean? And it's so normal to have these feelings. My, Can we yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, my daughter started into kindergarten yeah. and we had Dibbles testing done and she yeah. was false fars below in every area. And I remember just that sick feeling in my stomach uh -huh. yeah. of I'm a child psychologist and I should have, <laughs> I, how did I not know this and yeah. how did I get her into kindergarten? So unprepared, and I just blamed myself. Mm -hmm. And that's just, uh, you have to understand that's a part of like that you're, you're grieving a little bit. You're grieving like in a, in that moment, like I expected my child to be on this trajectory and that's okay. And that's normal, but know that it's not your fault. You right. did not cause ADHD in your child. Right. It is a neurobiological disorder. Like right. you did not cause that. Um, it is not caused by bad parenting. And we say that all the time in our Instagram posts and everything because yeah. um, parents do fall back on that. Yeah. And I think there's also a component that there's a lot of feedback coming in from other people who mm -hmm. are trying to help. Um, I mean, you have to assume, right, that they're trying to be helpful, whether it's, you know, grandparents or your friend who knew somebody who had the same issue but is now fine or whatever. And people give a lot of um, sometimes reassurance and sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes it's not because parents hear that and they think, well, maybe I'm just, you know, 
overreacting. I shouldn't really seek out this diagnosis. And as Lori mentioned, ADHD does fall into a lot of kind of gray area behaviors. You know, right. some of that is typical child development and some of it becomes inappropriate only because of the extent that that child is doing that or the different situations. They might not be aware of where and when to do those things. Um, and so parents, you know, will tell me all the time, it took me so long to get here because I heard from everybody that everything was fine. And on the flip side, you have so many people saying, well, you just really need to give more discipline. I think a punishment would really be helpful here. When we were kids, we didn't take Ritalin. And, you know, there's so much of that and like almost a kind of ongoing stigma. And we work really hard um, in our, throughout our social media, our blog posts and our weekly emails, and also in our course on ADHD. So much of that time is spent really just talking about that and empathizing with parents because we're all parents too. And so we've all gotten unsolicited feedback about our children. Um, And, and I think that is, again, I always have to go back to they didn't mean to say it like that, or that wasn't the intention, but we can carry those things around with us. And I hear you. That's really, really tough for parents, especially I think moms. Right. I agree. So let's kind of talk about, okay, now I get this ADHD diagnosis. It's now opening doors to different treatments and, um, you know, possibilities for my children to now thrive. Um, what are some of the treatments? What are, how are we able to help our children in the home and at school? So evidence-based treatments, what's recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics is for children six and older, a combination of stimulant medication and behavior therapy. And prior to six years old, the main recommendation is behavioral therapy or behavior parent training. So supporting the parent in learning strategies, tricks, tools that they can use in the home to best support their child. Um, So that's what we know is evidence-based. That's what's recommended by, excuse me, the American Academy of Pediatrics. There's lots of other therapeutic options out there. And this is another challenge for families. Now they have the diagnosis, but they're confronted with a lot of therapeutic options. Um, Occupational therapy, speech therapy, like what Katie does, although it can kind of fall under the parent training behavioral therapy umbrella, Um, dietary changes, supplements. And so now parents kind of can, for five minutes, breathe the sigh of relief because now they have a little bit better understanding of their child and they have a diagnosis. But now they're confronted with all of these treatment options, and some of them more effective than others. Um, So now they kind of have to weigh these options, and some of them are really expensive as well. So families need some guidance in how do I best invest my time and money now that I know what my child needs? So that's like the next hurdle (laughs) that parents um, have to cross. Right. And, you know, and that's like another thing that I feel like kind of still gets a little stigmatized or the mom guilt is having to medicate my child. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And like you said, the combination is more effective. Um, I always kind of tell the families that I work with, you know, sometimes medication doesn't have to be a forever thing. Um, but while we're learning the tools that you're learning in therapy, medication can be very beneficial, right? You know, you've got this overactive child and how am I going to 
get these tools to put in my toolbox to be able to regulate if I'm not regulated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I would, I would say in, in meeting with families, like even before I do an evaluation, the first thing they say to me often is I don't want to medicate. Like before we <laughs> even go down that road, I don't want to do medication. And right. I think that is, that is a challenge for most parents. They don't, no one, no one wants to do that. No one right. wants to. Um, but by the, by the end of the evaluation and talking through it and understanding that, like sometimes mm -hmm. you realize that, you know, that is a helpful treatment option for your child and you do have to weigh the benefits versus the potential side effects. Because again, we're talking about kids who are really struggling right. across settings and sometimes really struggling academically. They're not able to be maintained in the school setting. They're being sent home all the time. Um, so a lot of times though, I, I understand as a mom, I would be really hesitant too. And right. for our young kids, we really do say, you know, try doing some behavioral therapies and doing that kind of portion and, and see how they do. Let's check in in six months and see where they're at. Um, and then maybe, maybe consider it, but don't rule it out completely. Um, because that we've seen a lot of families obviously benefit. Yeah. What are some of the behavioral therapies that you guys are helping families get connected with? So a big piece of what um, what I do in my portions of the course yeah. is related to executive functioning. And um, a lot of times, you know, and, and I have this with my own children. I have a six-year-old and um, she's a really bright, really active kid. Um, and she doesn't have a diagnosis of ADHD, but I still question sometimes those executive functioning skills. And I'm always kind of second guessing, like, is this age appropriate? What's going on? But kids can really struggle with just basic executive functioning, like regulating their bodies and, you know, their, their kind of nervous systems, being able to organize their things, being able to plan and understand like multiple steps. So a really common one that I hear from a lot of parents is getting ready in the morning feels yes. like such a project. And when you have multiple children and you're trying to get out the door and school starts at eight, um, there's probably feels like a thousand steps even to us as moms. Right? right. And so for our kids, they can just kind of freeze and be like, I don't know what you want. And then you feel like you're yeah. prompting and reminding and eventually kind of shouting. And they're like, why are you yelling at me? Like what's happening? And you're like, because I said it four times. So, um, we, we work on a lot of what we call externalizing concepts. So yeah. things like really, instead of having them in their working memory, remember all the steps to getting, you don't know, dressed in the morning, we might find a way to externalize that. Whether it's, here's a bin, we're putting all your clothes in it for tomorrow morning. When the bin is empty, you're dressed. Or some kids might benefit from like a visual schedule, um, you know, with their shirt, their shorts, their clean socks, um, whatever it is. Uh, some families have a, a basket or a pile right next to the door and everything needs to be you know, with them when they leave from that basket. So we just, it really depends on the family and their right. needs as far as like what exactly those tools might look like. But um, I find that there's kind of just two pieces. The first is really educating parents to understand this is not behavior. This is not willful disobedience yeah. um, and really understand like what those 
task monitoring, for example, is, um, and then coming up with those tools and strategies. Okay, this is how we're going to help. Um, it's not like we're not giving our kids a crutch or trying to make them too reliant on us. We're trying to actually build those skills so that they can do that for themselves, which I think at the end of the day, that's what so many of us want is our children to be independent. Yeah. And I love that, like, you've kind of reframed this. They're not being defiant and, you know, purposely forgetting the lunchbox on the <laughs> on the school bus every single day. You know, like, this isn't a purposeful, intentional thing that they're doing to you. Yeah. Um, you know, that it's just the skill that needs developed. Um, and just, like, what an empowering thing to be able to reframe of, you know, okay, now I know we need to develop this skill. This independence doesn't just, like, fall out of the sky for my child, right? I have to yeah. intentionally guide them and teach them through life. And, you know, when there's other things going on in their little brains, now I have the tools that I can help do these things as well. And I think that's a big benefit for the parents to understand mm -hmm. that, that their child's brain is functioning differently. And again, right. it's not that they're trying to be defiant. It's that there's a skill missing and we can build that. Right. But not only is that helpful for the parents, but it's helpful for the child too. And that's another benefit of getting, getting a diagnosis because right. these kids are noticing that they're different than their peers. They mm -hmm. pick up on the fact that they're not getting invited to the birthday party or that the teacher is having to ask them a hundred times while everyone else already has their work done. And it starts to wear on their self-esteem and their confidence. Yeah. They're noticing these differences. And so having that diagnosis so that we can educate children on how their brain works and how it's not broken. They're not broken. Their brain isn't functioning wrong. It's just different. And that helps us know how to help them can be really empowering for the kids to know that it's not some, it's, it's not something that I'm doing wrong. I'm not bad. I'm not broken. The grownups around me just need to learn how to best support me and it helps and like, I need to learn a little bit about my brain too. So I know tips and tools and strategies that I need to kind of get through my day. So it's really empowering for kids as well. Mallory, is there anything that we can be doing better for our teachers to understand this ADHD diagnosis, this piece in the school setting? Absolutely. And I think that this is this is a big piece of what we hope to do with the Childhood Collective too. Lori and yeah. I have both worked in the schools. We're trained as school psychologists. And yeah. I think that there are some teachers who do an amazingly great job working with these kids. Um, but there's some, some teachers could benefit from education about what do these students really need. And again, it's that mindset shift, just as with the parents where they're not being naughty. They're not trying to do this to you. They just need different kinds of supports. They need extra supports because this is how their brain is functioning. And so I think that a little bit of education can go a long way. And this is another, you know, a whole nother barrier that families face when they get a diagnosis of now, what do I do for my child at school? Does my right. child need an individualized education plan? Does my child need a 504 plan? What are those? What would that mean for my child at school? Um, so <laughs> that's another benefit of the diagnosis also is that it can provide some clarity in the school setting about what strategies might help them. Um, but perhaps having a 504 plan or an IEP will also help the teacher know 
because we've done this evaluation at the school now, what kind of supports, accommodations, modifications does this child need to be successful in my classroom? Yeah, I love that. Um, And Katie, let's kind of go back to their peer interactions and the piece that you really help with peers. um, Because, you know, yeah, I think us as adults, we're like, you know, why are you doing this to me? Why are are you making my life so difficult, right? And this mindset shift that is so important. But peers, that's harder, right? And that's harder to really understand what the heck is going on with this kid? Like, why are they not sitting in their seat next to me? Why are they shouting out in class? And how can we help these kids in their peer interactions? Absolutely. So I think um, you kind of hit the nail on the head as far as like kids are not as forgiving as adults. Right. And so um, it's, it's really challenging, you know, because I think when we think about, first of all, like, why is that happening? Like, why are peer interactions hard for some kids with ADHD? Actually, a lot of kids with ADHD. And I think there's a couple different pieces to that. You know, I spoke a little bit about the inhibition, um, just kind of maybe it's flirting, interrupting, running, changing topics pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, and we haven't really talked about this quite yet today, but emotion regulation can be really hard for kids with ADHD. So um, they also can struggle with what we call cognitive flexibility or just being able to kind of shift in the moment. So if I think about um, a really common one that comes up a lot is um, a parent will tell me my child was playing soccer at recess and another, you know, he's playing like, you know, national, international soccer standards of rules that he's learned. And um, I'm not a soccer person, so I don't know all the terms. Uh, But, you know, the other kids are just sort of playing a pickup game of soccer. And now this child with ADHD, who's more rigid is like, wait a minute, like that's not the rule. And instead of being, you know, kind of irritated by that, they might actually go kind of zero to 60 and have a pretty big kind of meltdown or be really, really frustrated. And so again, you kind of have multiple layers to this. I think a huge piece is the skill building. So we always talk about like, not only do kids with ADHD, they, they need help building the skills. Like what do they need? So maybe it's um, some relaxation strategies. Um, I really like a curriculum called the zones of regulation. Mm -hmm. It was actually developed by an occupational therapist. So it uses a lot of like body movement. If I'm frustrated, I can jump or push something heavy, but then it also incorporates more of like the speech and language side with, um, you know, kind of positive self-talk and the size of the problem and that kind of thing. So that's a really nice kind of integrated, it's actually a book parents can purchase. Um, it's a little more on the expensive side, but it's a whole curriculum. So some schools now are adopting that or something similar. Um, so, it's, you know, teaching the skills. And then also it's a matter of getting our kids to use those skills in the moment. And so um, kind of that self-monitoring, like knowing, you know, where I'm at, what should I be doing? And I would say it's not easy. Like there's no quick and easy fix, um, but really focusing. So for example, 
on something that your child is good at. Like if you know your child is skilled at tennis or golf or some other, you know, area, art, music, maybe putting them into social situations where they can shine in that way. So focusing on like the positive and then really supporting those peer interactions. So you might have to get involved depending on the age of your child. Um, But having more like get togethers, play dates at your house so that you have a little bit more kind of input to what's going on. And um, we've been looking at putting together kind of a little training on this, like peer interaction, because Mm -hmm. it is such a thing that parents just, they really want to help, but they're almost like, I don't, they're scared. Like they don't know how to get involved in like the appropriate way. So giving kind of some concrete strategies, I think could be really helpful for parents just, but I would say the biggest ones are build the skills, in the other moments that you want to see them and then reinforce them. So lots of praise and then, you know, letting yourself be involved to whatever extent to make sure you can help. And then we're fading that. We're not doing that forever. Again, it's just for the time being, like if I know when my kids get really upset with each other, I might have to intervene. All the research will say, don't, don't intervene. Just let them work it out. And I'll tell you that I've tried that a lot of times and it has resulted in like small amounts of bloodshed um, as there's like (laughs) some scratching. Um, So, but I, and I sincerely say that as like, I will, I have to kind of choose my moments to be like, Mm -hmm. Hey, how, you know, how do you think that's making her feel? What, how could we solve this problem? Um, And again, I'm not like telling them what to do, but they, my kids do need a certain level of support. Right. And I think that like, yeah, you're, you're guiding them and helping them through building those skills of how to engage in a dispute, right? Like you're going to have these disagreements and these disputes your whole life. How are you going to navigate them and communicate them effectively? Um, Can we also talk about self-esteem with ADHD? Because I feel like a child gets one of the a mental health diagnosis, maybe it's ADHD, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's something else. All right, now I have a label that I am actually different from my peers. I'm sitting in my class, I'm struggling, you know, the teacher's getting frustrated with me. I'm not able to follow the rules of my home like my sibling is. My mom gets more frustrated with me. And all of these messagings that I'm hearing are, I'm a bad kid. I must be a bad kid, right? Mm-hmm. And the self-esteem starts to kind of plummet. I see this in a lot of my clients with a lot of different diagnoses. And across the board, I feel like from all these different ages and childhood, I'm hearing that I'm a bad kid. You know, my teacher doesn't like me. My mom doesn't like me. How can we kind of flip this narrative and do better? Great question. It feels like that might be more up Mallory's alley. Um, Mal, do you want to do you want to touch on that one? Sure. And that's a hefty question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. We actually just did a whole series on self esteem and growing confidence oh, in I love kids. That. Yeah, and it is a huge piece and it's a huge challenge for kids with ADHD because they receive negative feedback from people in their life at an exponentially higher rate than typical peers. And that will wear on you very quickly. If for every one time you get positive feedback that you're doing something right, you get four pieces of criticism that you're not doing something right. It's not going to be long before you do feel like you're a bad kid. 
and that you can't do this. And so the first part of this is the onus is on the grownups in this child's life to make sure that we are noticing when they are getting it right, when they are doing it well, and we are telling them and we are celebrating that. We have to make sure that these kids are getting feedback on all of their many, many strengths much more often than we're having to correct. We really have to focus on that connection. And we talk a lot about this in our course. We have to prioritize the connection before the correction. And that's just not the case for most kids with ADHD because we're all humans. And it's really easy for us as parents to fall into the cycle where we're only paying attention when things are not going well. Yeah, we're busy. And like, you know, I totally get it. I empathize with parents. You know, you're busy, you're in the shuffle, you're working, you've got multiple kids in the home, you're tired, you know, and I get like why you have to yell at your kids to get their stuff together and get out the door, you know, but I think that you are so right with that connection piece. Yep. So a huge piece is on the grownups, right? The teachers, the parents, all of us, we have to be noticing when kids are doing great. And The thing about kids with ADHD is they really have so many amazing strengths and there's so many ways that they're creative and energetic and outgoing and so many lovely things. So we really need to be focusing on that and investing our energy in that. The other piece, and Katie kind of alluded to this, is that all kids need something that they do really well. We need to be figuring out what is my child interested in? What do they do well? And go all in with that. They need to do well at something and know they're doing well with it. And that is really going to build up the self-esteem. And it's kind of like a snowball effect. If you're like, oh, I did that little thing well, and I did that thing well, and I'm really good at this sport. When they're faced with a task that's a little bit harder and not preferred, they're going to have kind of in their back pocket all that experience of doing other things well, and they're going to face challenges a little bit more willingly and head on. So we have to make sure that kids have something they do well, and they have lots of opportunities to do that well. So those are my biggest two tips and how do we help these kids? But you're right. Like this is one of the biggest challenges that we hear from families is, and this breaks parents' hearts all the time, the negative self-talk. Yeah, feeling that they're not measuring up and they can't do it. And I'm sure so many families are living this right now with distance learning because they're right there next to their kid as they're struggling with school. Um, So, you know, making sure that we're noticing when they're getting it right, giving them plenty of opportunities to do things well is going to be a huge piece for these kids. And I just think that that's so important, even without a diagnosis, right, is to just be filling up that kid's Totally positive self-talk bucket. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it's not intuitive in, in our, in parenting in general. Um, and, and I know I catch myself in these cycles. I wrote a blog post about how I just caught myself and this happens all the time in these like negative corrective cycles. Yeah. And you start to see it when your kids are just um, becoming more defiant and acting mm-hmm. out more. Um, they really are kind of saying, I need this attention. I need this positive attention. And, you know, again, that's why we created our course because it isn't intuitive and, and kids with ADHD need it even more so than typical kids. Um, all of our kids benefit from, from all these tools and strategies that we teach. Um, but they need it even more so because they're getting so much negative feedback on, on a regular basis. Yeah. Lori, tell my listeners about the course, where they can find it and where they can find you guys. 
Yeah. So I know we've talked, we've kind of mentioned our course, but we have a yeah. course on parenting ADHD. It's called Creating Calm. Um, and if you're on Instagram or on Facebook, you can just click on our website through there. You'll see the Creating Calm um, section. Um, and so we actually just updated um, our page, which gives more information about the course. And we have a sample lesson from yeah. Um, our online course. It's a video-based course, so it has six different modules, and we kind of take you through um, understanding ADHD, building connection, um, and really practical tips and strategies parents can use immediately to just bring joy back into their home, to feel confident in parenting your child with ADHD, to really raise your independent amazing, strong, awesome child with ADHD and help them feel um, positive and confident about themselves. Um, and so that's, uh, again, we, we saw such a need. Um, a lot of parents, we will refer after an evaluation to get therapy for them. And a lot of times they're getting that skill building piece, but the parents aren't getting the tools that they need and how to support them on a day-to-day basis at home, yes. like how to change the system at home to yes. make things easier and better. And, and even in, again, the metro area of Phoenix, we live in a huge city. I, it's hard for me to find people and the people that do do this are so yeah. booked up. Um, and so we wanted just easy, accessible tools that you can do from home. The other pieces, like with an online course, you can do it with your partner. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and we see a lot of times, like even going to therapy, like um, somebody has to work and you can't get babysitters. Right. And so you can do this at night on the couch, like learning these skills together. So there's consistency at home too. Um, so again, yeah, people can find it. Our website is thechildhoodcollective.com and you can, um, we have lots of free resources on there too, that pe people can get. And you guys are on Instagram at the Childhood Collective, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And all your links will be in the description of this podcast. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me. Thank and you. thank you. <laughs> and cheers so to um, parenting kids with ADHD a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so fun to be on here. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you.